Hello, everyone. Welcome to Russia's World. Happy New Year to everyone. And we have a special edition today and a special guest, uh, Marilyn Woolley. Welcome to Russia's World. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Wonderful. And um, one of the things I'd like to ask uh, all my guests here is to briefly introduce themselves in a few words in any way they see fit. Okay, I'm um, a psychologist, licensed psychologist in California, and I've been doing this kind of work for about 40 years, um, had a lot of experience with a lot of people. Um, I enjoy my work very much. People, you know, um, say, when are you going to retire? I don't think ever. And um, so I've done a lot of work with trauma since, um, since the beginning of my career. And I was kind of inspired by my grandfather, who was one of the liberators of Dachau prison camp during World War II, and just knowing, finding out what happened to him. And I talk about that and how heroes heal, which is my book, um, just kind of changed my life, gave me new insight on the whole area, whole study of trauma. So mm -hmm. that's kind of where I am. And I work mostly with first responders. So, and I get lots of funny stories. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so the book is, uh, just to remind everyone, is How Heroes Heal, Stories of First Responders and the Journey from Post-Traumatic Stress Injury to Post-Traumatic Growth. And so you, you, you talk also about your grandfather in it, and it's, it's really devastating to hear the story because, um, yeah, he used to be a jovial, happy fellow and then went to war. And maybe you can briefly touch upon that for our listeners here. So in looking through his, what happened was I, I didn't know any of this. He was like a lot of people coming back from war. They don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. So I knew nothing of this until after my dad died and I found the trunk in the attic and it was all full of all the pictures, uh, notebooks, letters, uh, hundreds of letters that he wrote. And then I just started reading and putting things together. And from what I could tell from, he went to West Point and from what I can tell from the information I got from there was that he was this happy jokester guy. Mm -hmm. And what I knew about him, he was just angry and bitter and isolated and, um, not having a good life at all. So what I started putting together was that he, when I found the letter that he wrote to my grandmother, he's, and it's pretty much, you know, took a little trip down to Dachau today and it described um, the 50 boxcars of bodies they couldn't get to in time. So there is, you know, guilt and shame mm. and it just transformed him and thereafter, you could see in his letters kind of the deterioration of his personality. Mm -hmm. And he didn't trust anybody. He didn't trust the government. He didn't trust, you know, and my grandmother was a very social woman. So that was kind of a, a conflict with them that he just wanted to sit in this little bunker kind of room in the basement of their beautiful house. And he would go down there and just kind of disappear. So he was isolated. And so I didn't really know him as a grandfather, like, you know, your grandfather going out mm -hmm. and you know, playing with you or, you know, having fun with you. He was just very grouchy guy. Mm -hmm. So it was, it, you know, it was really hard. I mean, reading all that stuff, it took me a lot to kind of go through it and, and try to process it. Yeah. And, um, but the good thing about it was, was I was working at the VA hospital with Vietnam vets at the time. 
And it was before the diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder had come out. And I just, it, I got it. It's like, I went back to the uh, memorial, the um, Holocaust Museum. And what you do is you walk up this, um, you open this elevator to the fourth floor and you, the elevator doors open and there's this huge picture of the GIs looking in and they all have a thousand mile stare. And I swear to God, it was like a light bulb went off. I just, this is what happened to my grandfather, that he just looked into that, that horrible scene and it transformed him. So it, it just, that was kind of transformed me into being really interested in this. And, and, and what, what upsets me, it seems common sense from our perspective that yes, there was trauma and this uh, changed the person, but at the time they saw it as a disorder. And it seems the most normal way of responding to abnormal and atrocious events. And so I, I'm strongly against war and uh, in any way, sometimes it's necessary and we know, but the, the horrors of war is, 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 is awful. And, but at the same time, I'm fully supportive of veterans, and I don't think they get the uh, necessary recognition and uh, and uh, that they they should, and and that it's actually getting, expands to uh, first responders across the board as well. Yes, it's getting better. We're mm -hmm. we're learning more and more about it, and and we're learning more and more how to treat it, and to see it. You no, know, we're calling it post traumatic stress injury. That's not the official diagnosis of the DSM, which is the diagnostic mm -hmm. manual. But, you know, people who work with veterans and, and first responders were calling it an injury now because it's an injury. It's something that happened to you. It's not something that was in your head and was dysfunctional. It can become that way. You can you know, develop depression, anxiety, avoidance, uh, you know, changes your personality, makes you doubt yourself and feel like you you know, did something wrong. And, and you know, I, that's typical. I think my grandfather felt that way, even though he had nothing to do with it. So. And there's so much stigma too that we have. And uh, uh, even myself, I work with uh, with RCMP officers. I was teaching them English. And uh, and I was, I was afraid of police officers. And so when they also come in the uniform, I was like intimidated. And uh, they would ask me if they could be absent. They said, you can do whatever you want to do. I mean, uh, it's it's that kind of fear. But then when it, once they connected with them, they have a great sense of humor, which they can't show at work. This is not the side we get to see. And so in comparison with like firefighters, they're often seen as heroes and they're celebrated. Whereas police officers, you don't go and wave at them. You kind of try to hide away. And even if you haven't done anything, it's that kind of like sense we get. So uh, I feel bad for them, especially when I got to hear their stories of um, the type of work they do and the type of people they have to deal with on a daily basis. I say, no wonder they get paranoid and they're worried. And uh, when we go to a place, they look for the exits. It's like, okay, this is the exit. If anything happens, that's the path we're gonna take. As it just relax, you know. But um, we have to recognize that, I think, as as a society. We hire them to be police officers, and we expect mm -hmm. them to be social workers. Yes. And, yes. So, exactly. And, and exactly. they have to be. They, you know, there's all kinds of issues about do they need more training with that? And probably yes, because that's what they do. But you know. It's it, it's kind of an impossible job. 
and they can't show any weaknesses or vulnerabilities and saying, well, this was tough, this affected me. And uh, because they are supposed to be strong and tough, our perception of that, and, and, and that is very harmful. So I think a lot of them, and that's why uh, you, you say in your book too, they, they suffer in silence and uh, they don't go and seek the help that they need or they think there's something wrong with them because they're feeling that way, whereas the reaction is perfectly normal under the circumstances. Well, to give you an example, and I, I mentioned this in How Heroes Heal, when I was at the VA hospital mm -hmm. and the Vietnam veterans were coming back really struggling and really suffering, and my training was kind of like, oh, they were that way to begin with. I mean, post-traumatic stress disorder was not even a diagnosis until 1980, so it wasn't mm -hmm. even recognized. So, you know, we've come a long way, I think, that we're at least seeing the biological basis. I mean, that's the thing. It's it's like we expect them to be strong, and if they were strong and if they were okay, they wouldn't get this. But it's yeah. a biological disorder. It's something that happens in your brain that is rooted in biology. It's like, you know, you don't break your leg because you have a character disorder. Yeah. You break yeah. your leg because your leg breaks, yeah. right? So yeah. I, we're seeing that more, which is but, really and, good. And, mm -hmm. I mean, it's kind of incredible just in, in the space in the time of my career, we've come that far. And sometimes people get grumbly about, well, they're not getting the kind of treatment. And I always look at when I started out, this is the way it was. It was much worse. And it's the idea of shaking it off, like shrugging it off. And it, it, it doesn't work that way. And it's not the strength of character. Well, I'm strong, then I can just get over it. It's, it's, it and it sticks with you. And uh, my, my experience and knowledge of psychology shows us that even, even minor traumatic events, they still linger within us unconsciously and affect us. And just to give you a, a silly example in comparison to what we're talking about, um, we had a heavy snowstorm and I got stuck for various hours in, in, in a different city from, from work at night. And I was worried because there were no cars, no buses. And I thought I would be stuck there for the whole night and it was cold and there was no way out. It was uh, the bus stop. And, um, and it, it affected me. And then so just recently, yesterday, I went back to work and I had that lingering feeling of anxiety. And I say, this is silly in a way, but it's perfectly natural because I had minor, but I had a traumatic event. And so and yes. it, it often also accumulates, especially in jobs where you have to deal with uh, emergencies on a, on a daily basis as well. Well, until a few years ago, it only when you were talking about workers comp or something like that, you had to have like an index event. Hmm. So show me a first responder that has one index event. It, it doesn't, they don't exist. They have mm -hmm. hundreds of them, hundreds yeah, over yeah. the span of a, a career. And, you know, they can't stop and process each one mm -hmm. as time goes on because they're on to the next call. So yeah, it just builds yeah. up and builds up and builds yeah. up and, it's cumulative. Yeah. And, and then it, it expresses itself in different ways because we're not processing them. We're not dealing with them. Uh, we have depression. We have addiction. We have a, a tendency to, to, to commit suicide or suicidality. And, uh, and so it's, 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 really, it's really harmful if it's not treated, if there is no, no release of, of that accumulated stress. You wouldn't think of running a marathon on a broken leg. Mm -hmm. You know, it's exactly. the same thing. Yeah. So. Yeah. And so um, I, I want to first focus on what would you say, how can we best deal with it? And I'm very excited also to 
talk about the growth that comes after. And that's that's kind of also to finish on a, on a really positive note. But in the meantime, let's see, like, what would you recommend? What are the best ways of, um, of dealing with uh, the stress? Now, specifically our first responders, but at the same time, it does apply to everyone because we all suffer uh, certain amounts of stress and even even trauma, whether it's minor or major, we still it still affects us in many ways. So what would be your general tip and advice for our audience here? Well, the first, first thing that I find helpful is to acknowledge what's going on. And especially with first responders, they don't want to, and other people don't want to. You don't want to think that there could be something wrong, but just to acknowledge it. And, you know, reaching out to other people and talking about it. I mean, I think it's really important that you can share that with somebody who understands and somebody who can explain it. I've, I've had people come into my office and once I explain, look at this is a biological thing. This is what's going on. They're just so relieved. Mm -hmm. So that's probably the first thing. You know, the next thing, it, and, you know, we are a, a herd animal. We need other people. I think yeah. we don't, but we do. That and do. so yeah. being able to be with other people and other people that have similar experiences and can say, look at your, there's nothing wrong. I had that happen to me and I, you know, I'm okay. So, you know, one of the places that I, I volunteer is called the West Coast Post Trauma Retreat. And that's specifically for first responders in a, a group setting. And there's, there's other similar programs, but that's the one I'm with. And it, it really helps to be able to hear other people's stories and know that you're not alone. Because the worst thing for a human is to be alone. Mm -hmm. We hate that. And to think that something's wrong with us, you know, and, and that, that kind of lack of confidence that comes with that. And may, I'm not normal. This is not a normal reaction. And I think we're probably also too much obsessed with normal because I, I think like, well, you know, I, I don't consider myself really normal in many ways because of some of the things I say on my podcast and people can see that, but it's, I'm okay with that because as long as it's not, uh, it's not causing uh, harm or suffering, I think it should be fine. Well, you know, who wants to be normal? I mean, you need to have a little, a little interest. That's pretty boring, right? To be normal. <laughs> so you want to have a personality, mm -hmm. but you know what and what goes on and what what i see is that you know i talk about journey in how heroes heal and and that's really important to me it's the journey of going you know first of all you don't want to admit it then you finally admit it then you meet people who can help you you know peers and mentors and and teachers and then you start looking into other aspects so one thing we do is look at um the history of somebody because one thing we don't, we don't know who's going to get uh, post-traumatic stress from any particular incident. Some people do and some people don't. Mm -hmm. But we do know that if you've had something in your past that, you know, has embedded itself in your body, you know, emotions, you have those emotions. And so you will react to a similar incident and it increases the likelihood that you'll get post-traumatic stress. I mean, it doesn't mean that you know, it can be a real growth experience. It doesn't have to be a bad thing. So what I try and do is connect the dots. You know, one of you felt like this before. And, you know, people will understand. I had the same feeling when I was six and I felt abandoned. And, you know, that is what happened. And when you can connect those dots, then it starts making sense. It's like, maybe I am, I'm not so crazy. You know, I'm, I'm because PTSD, 
post-traumatic stress feels crazy because you're on fight or flight. Your body is on fight or flight and your brain is telling you, wait, there's nothing going on. But your body is like, I remember this, right? And, and there's I'm a disconnect that, that worries us too. We say, why am I reacting to this in this manner? But it has a perfect reason that we're not fully aware of in many ways. Right. Yeah. Right. So that's one thing I try and do. Mm-hmm. And there's various techniques we use. Um, EMDR is one technique. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's some uh, like uh, emotional freedom therapy. I mean, there's other things that we do. A cognitive behavioral therapy is kind of the standard for how we treat this. But there's other things that we do that are very effective. And um, I just I just ha- attended a seminar on uh, Stella Ganglion Block, which is they um, it's kind of the same thing they use when women have um, C-sections or something, hmm. or you know they, they block the sensation. <laughs> and so that as I don't know that much about it, but it, it you know I was pretty impressed with the presentation that that can help. So that we're finding other things. And, you know, we never really knew any of this. And now we're finding all these techniques that it, it it's kind of a global thing, but all these techniques are, you know, part of the process. Yeah. So as a, a trauma therapist, you, you have to have kind of a, a big library in your head of what you can do. And, you know, plus, the, not only the techniques, but you know, getting people to do other things like exercise, reconnect with their family, um, do the things, do the sports and stuff that they used to do. Because a lot of times, when you're isolated like that and you're you're emotionally numb, you don't want to do anything. Mm-hmm. So there's all these things that, to recover that you can do. Mm-hmm. And, and it does become a vicious cycle because you are projecting like you're grandfather you're projecting this aura of like i'm grouchy i'm i'm mean i'm angry and and others will react in the same way so it keeps getting stronger instead of like uh, opening up and or, or dealing with them and connecting with others and i think one thing that uh, i was thinking about as i was reading your book is um, really to listen to others and to see others not just how we are perceiving them but kind of through empathy and from their point of view and so understanding like, okay, this person is angry. is not because of me. They don't hate me or they're not angry at me. Usually it's because there is something triggering them or going on. So in that way, we can also relax and not be on the defensive and also attack them back, but kind of take it in a stride. And I, I deal with students and um, I do see anger with them because they are failing and so on. But when I'm calm, it kind of like affects them too. And it does relax them. So it's that power each of us has to, to both listen carefully, but also not to take it uh, uh, too personally, I think. Yeah, yeah. I have a firefighter that says, you know, I'm out on the front lines of this this war with a fire. Mm-hmm. And then I go home when the real war begins, <laughs> you know? It's just, <laughs> Absolutely. It's really, it's really stressful. You know, I have an interest in wildland firefighters because of where I live, there's wildland fire. And so what they go through is they're out for weeks and they don't see their family, had no contact. The isolation is very difficult. And then they come home and they're like, okay, I'm in charge. And the spouse goes, I don't think so. <laughs> We've been doing fine without you. <laughs> you know? I, uh, I I, mean, I, I'm going to share this and I hope they're not listening. But uh, these police officers, when I met their wives, 
I was kind of surprised because they're calling the shots in many cases. And I, there's this like strong guy that I thought was in control, but no, he's, he's, he's following orders. And so I found that very, very interesting and amusing too. It's not always what we think we see. There's like uh, other dimensions at work. Well, a lot of the police officers I work with, I mean, they have a crusty exterior, but they're jello, you know, really. I mean, so I'm, I'm not amazed, but I'm always impressed at how sensitive and, you know, easily hurt they are. Mm -hmm. So, and, you know, they don't, they take it personally when people don't like them. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, they're, they're kind of sweet, really. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it, it just giving them a, a chance as like, as, as human beings too. And it's just that that uniform that kind of like blocks us off in, in many ways, I think. And just talking about the trauma, I mean, we've experienced now trauma with COVID and that has been like global trauma. And uh, although trauma is, is bad and uh, whereas it's harmful in many ways or does not make us feel good, I also see the silver lining there because it's, it's opened up a lot of people to talk about it, even using technology and social media to talk about their struggles. And then others feel uh, 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 kind of invigorated and, and validated in their own feelings and they connect with that. And I think that's been a very positive trend that's coming out of something that's that's really awful. Yes, I, I think so. And I, you know, I think about my family and we figured out other ways to connect. <laughs> and I think a lot of a lot of what we did made us closer. But you know, it's it was hard being isolated. I mean, humans don't like to be isolated, <laughs> as I said. And you know, that's one of the things I talk about in the book too, is that isolation, how and how heroes heal. That isolation is very difficult. <laughs> but but then you know, then then there's the growth part. Yes. That what happens is people, and you don't, it, it's not, you don't come by it easily, the growth, mm -hmm. you know, the, the concept of post-traumatic growth, you don't come by it easily. It's not, it's not just like, oh, that which doesn't kill you will surely make you stronger. It's really processing a lot of things. And and I tried to show in the book, the people that I interviewed um, went through such struggles, but they came to the other side of it more connected with their families and, you know, more spiritual, more connected with nature, uh, having a new confidence about themselves. And, you know, it's just wonderful to see what they did and mm -hmm. how they process it. I, I think, I think the people in my book, it's kind of like they knew that they couldn't stay in that place. You know, they knew that they had to grow or their lives were not going to be good. So I was just in awe of all of them. And just the benefits of suffering, because when I look back, most of my learning, the, the learning curve comes from, from suffering. That's where I've learned the most. And it's kind of like when we say about it's better to have loved and lost than not never have loved uh, uh, at all. And I, I think that the same kind of applies to suffering, although we're not, it's not something we're seeking. But when it comes to us, which is a natural part of life, uh, we need to take advantage of it in many ways because of the growth it brings us. And as, as you're saying, uh, we, we live in a in comfort zone often and on autopilot and things don't affect us and we're just kind of content. But, but once we experience that, we have a chance of going further, of really connecting with, uh, with life, with joy, with spirituality, appreciating life so much more. And, and when you look at it, 
those people who have suffered come out much stronger, much more resilient, and um, often in many cases, not always sadly, but uh, much stronger as, as individuals too, and much happier. And so um, I think we, we really have to uh, look at that and see that there is uh, a blessing in disguise there with these horrible things that are happening. And resiliency is really an important concept. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, people people that go that choose to be first responders tend to be pretty resilient to begin with. Otherwise, I mean, they don't do it. They, you know, they they have a kind of personality. They tend to be somewhat resilient. They've been through some stuff in the past. Um, they have confidence that they can handle any situation. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, when they can't handle a situation. For whatever reason, either because it was overwhelming, or they were helpless, or they made a mistake, or you know something really bad happened, then it just devastates them. And part of this whole process of post-traumatic growth is they have to get past that. They have to relearn that they are good people, that you know they have control over things, and they want to have you know I. I joke and say they're control freaks. I mean, they are. They're control freaks. I mean, that's their job, right? Well, they have to be. They have to be. <laughs> their job is to control disasters. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when they can't control it, it's it's really tough on them. But, you know, the growth thing is, is they they develop new confidence, which is really important. Mm -hmm. You know, when they, they can see that um, they can handle things and they can handle things better than they used to. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a higher plane. It's like our plane of confidence that they, they have. And and you mentioned uh, Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey. Can we talk about that a bit too? I, I really like that. Well, I what happened with that was that I, I was writing, I was doing some other writing mm -hmm. and I took a class from a guy named Chris Vogel, who um, is a screenwriter and he kind of follows Joseph Campbell's journey. And he mm -hmm. wrote a book called The Hero's Journey. And I read that and all of a sudden I thought, wait a minute, that's what I'm doing. Yeah. That's exactly what's going on, mm -hmm. you know? And it's it's kind of an adventure. It's a, you know, a deployment to, to use better help. Mm -hmm. And so I just started developing it, kind of following, it, you know, somewhat loosely, but it's mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. This is what happens is that, you know, the call to adventure, the refusal of the call, which they always refuse it at first, the acceptance of the call, um, you know, meeting mentors, and then and one thing that that I I kind of find very interesting is that that you talk about the hero, the figure to death of the hero, that there's there's something that changes about them, and that's like when Luke Luke Skywalker was um, in the garbage disposal, and, and you know, and they, they were squishing him and he disappeared and they thought he died and he was he came the thing whatever it was spit him out again and he was reborn and that's it they're all of a sudden they're like you know wait a minute you know I'm, I'm going to change I'm going to be reborn I'm going to be something better than I was and it's wonderful to see so and you know there's more things there you know in seizing the sort of knowledge you know that's what they do a lot and then one thing I talked about you know part of the the journey is um, you know the road back and I say you know now you have this knowledge you you are not done you have to pay it back. Mm -hmm. and 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 shedding shedding your skin in in, in many ways like. Uh... You know, like a snake and becoming a renewing yourself and be, becoming a, 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 a even better person in many ways. 
Right. So I have clients that have become mental health professionals to help people, to teach people, and they really kind of get into it. You know, mm -hmm. they like they, they feel like I this is something else I can do. I can teach other people. Exactly, to pass it on. And what I really like is also it's not one size fits all. So we're looking at different ways of, of trying to find something that resonates with that person. And uh, I really that, like that move because it's like before it's like usually like, okay, there's one way of doing it and this is it and that's the best path. But uh, we don't respond to that in, 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 in a positive way. So some people need medication. Some people don't. Some people need this kind of therapy. Some people, and, and others work better with others. And that openness, I think, is so important. Well, that's why as a trauma therapist, you need to have a lot of tricks in your bag. <laughs> you know, you need a lot of ways of approaching things. And that's one thing that I appreciate about the field is I'm always learning. I mean, there's always something <laughs> else to think about. And I learned so much from the clients too, you know, in this book, I mean, you know, I think, I mean, I, I'm so grateful that they could tell their stories to me, but I learned so much, yeah, you know, yeah. from them. And that was, that was really gratifying. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's wonderful. Uh, uh, thank you so much for being on Rash's World, Marilyn Woolley. Uh, you're a psychologist, traumatologist, author, and the book is How Heroes Heal. Stories of First Responders and the Journey from Post-Traumatic Stress Injury to Post-Traumatic Growth. Thank you so much for the wonderful work that you're doing and for, for your awesome book. Thank you so much for the interview. I appreciate it. Thank you.